May grace and peace be multiplied to each one of you this morning in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Amen. Texts for our consideration on this, the 16th Sunday in Trinity, are found primarily in our Old Testament and our Gospel readings. Both 1 Kings 17 and Luke 7 record accounts of widows with sons, one who is deathly ill, the other has recently died and is in mid-funeral procession. This morning, I'd also like to add a third text for our consideration. These are words of St. Paul from 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 through 6. They're not part of our assigned readings from our lectionary this morning, but they contain a great deal of comfort and blessing in dealing with what is and are two very tricky and challenging texts with very real-world applications to them. We hear St. Paul. Blessed be God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of all mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our affliction, so that we may may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. As always... We proceed deeper into these texts in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. A mother tragically loses her youngest son. A young man of only 20 years with his whole life ahead of him. Although this young man has challenges and struggles to overcome, he also has options and opportunities. He's held in high regard loved by family, friends, and community alike. His co-workers care for him in the present time, and they're also invested with him in his future goals, his future hopes, and his dreams. Despite this support, this young man ends his life by his own hand, shortly after he has taken the life of another young man a few moments prior. His mother like the two mothers in our text today, is left stunned and questioning all she knows, holds dear, and believes. Dear friends in Christ, this trauma doesn't take place back in the days of Jesus' earthly ministry or even during the time of Ezekiel we heard about from 1 Kings. This was two weeks ago. My unit and the National Guard lost a soldier in a shocking homicide and suicide. As I traveled, I was dispatched with a casualty assistance team two weeks ago and sent with them, along with our command, to visit our soldier's mother in the aftermath of this tragedy. On my way, I had to wrestle in the car as we drove with a lot of internal questioning. I was asking myself things like, what could we have done to help this soldier more? What could we have done to have identified this before it happened? And then thinking ahead to this visit we were about to have? What do we even say or do? What was it even possible that we can say or do to help console this mother and her family to bring her and them any sort of peace? In both St. Luke's Gospel and in the book of 1 Kings this morning, we hear of sons being healed, even one being raised from the dead. Although these accounts are miraculous and wonderful, 
How often do we pass them by? How often have we heard them so many times that we're tempted just to, just to dismiss them or make a judgment of them that they're some kind of inspirational story for us? How often, if we do ponder them in depth, do they leave us perplexed or frustrated, unable to apply them or find some kind of way to sync them up with the real world? We can't heal the deathly ill and restore breath to one near death, let alone can any of us raise somebody whom death has taken from us. These texts are challenging. We definitely can't chalk them up as inspirational stories and leave it at that. Jesus wasn't born to live among us, to tabernacle and dwell among us in our flesh so that we could find inspiration or that we could fulfill our already awesome potential or to self-actualize our goals and dreams or any of those type of things that we hear pandered to us out there in the culture. No, dear friends, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us to give us the right to become the children of God. Jesus dwelt among us so that we could learn from him, that we could be redeemed, recreated by him, and to follow him, we as the secondborn, him as the firstborn, our pathfinder in this wilderness of this oftentimes fallen, sinful, and even brutal and tragic world. Our baptisms, dear friends in Christ, mark us. We know that. What does that do when we're marked with the name of God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in those waters? We were or are marked there, dear friends in Christ. That means we are conformed to the image of Jesus, the firstborn, we, those who follow after him. We are united to his dying on the cross and is rising again to new life. And so there's great comfort in that simple message. There has to be an answer in there somewhere when we have these tough situations in life that come our way. It doesn't matter, dear friends in Christ, that we can't heal the deathly ill or that we can't raise those who have succumbed to death. It doesn't matter that we can't perform miracles the likes of which Jesus did or the likes of which Elijah performed, or any of the other apostles and prophets. It doesn't matter, because we are still given great and important work to do. Work, we could say, that's just as important to do. Well, as you hear the expression, out of the world, among it, but still in it, we're called out. Church comes from ecclesia, those called out of the world, but still to be remain in it, not to be beamed up somewhere else and out of the sorrow and the hardships and the anger and all those human existence issues. We're called out of this broken and fallen word to be instruments of God's grace, of his divine mercy, of his peace that passes all understanding in this broken and fallen world. Every time we assemble around the sacrament as we do shortly, we continue in Jesus' teaching. We're living that teaching, dear friends, as well as that of the, of the fellowship of the apostles. Jesus, St. Luke tells us at the end of his gospel, is known to us now, like those disciples on the road to Emmaus, in the breaking of the bread. That's code for us, for what goes on here later this morning. In our prayers, we don't lose faith. In our prayers, our hope isn't diminished we persevere 
We resist evil in all its forms. Simple, bludgeoning evil or complex, nuanced evil. It doesn't matter. We are stood up in our baptisms, sustained by the sacrament to fight the good fight. Whenever we do fall into sin, which we do, we're turned continually to confession and absolution as we did this morning to begin our service before we took a step uh, towards this altar. We're turned to repentance. We're called to return home to our Lord. Thus we are called to proclaim by word and sacrament the good news of God in Christ Jesus. We are to serve all people that God puts us before us and brings into our lives. Some who are the homeless guy at the corner with nothing that we are called to interface with. Some are the grieving, those who are afflicted by illness or have had tragic loss under terrible circumstances. That's what it means to love our neighbor as ourselves. Yes, we also strive for peace. Yes, we also work for justice. Yes, we also are the people of forgiveness. That means reconciliation in a world that will have nothing of it. We are that people of reconciliation among the people. In the world, not of it, to bring something different than this world to this dying place. We also respect the dignity of every human being. Every human being. Every human being deserves that. We see all of this enacted in our gospel lesson this morning. Jesus consoles a mother. This woman is suddenly alone in this broken, fallen, even brutal world. Her grief over her son's loss is agonizing. There's a whole procession wailing as they process to the burial place. Jesus comes upon this scene. We're told that a, he has an entourage with him, a crowd of people with him as well. Imagining these two masses of people coming together at the same time in this big scene, this big exchange. Jesus doesn't pass this woman in this procession by. Out of his compassion, he halts that procession. He tells her, don't weep. He doesn't do it in a, in a mean sort of way, in a way it's dismissive or a way of in our culture of saying, stiff upper lip, come on, not at all. It's a very sincere, don't weep. Don't fret, don't be sorrowful, don't mourn. And then he raises her son from death to life right there. He doesn't wait. Right there, we're told, on the processional bier, this thing that they carried the person for burial upon. Son sits up and become, begins talking. As if nothing happened. Life restored to the moment before this death. This is changing. This is existence changing for this woman and for us and everybody that's ever heard this word of our Lord. He changes this woman's standing in the culture. You think about that time, that day and age. It's hard to be a widow in our day and age. It's hard to be a widow who has lost children in our day and age. It was really hard back then. That caused you to be thrust out into kind of the outer rung of culture, to be out there just a few clicks in from unclean people, not forgotten, but out there and alone. It was a terrible way to be. This woman has had her standing restored. She's had her family put back together. Son was her family. She no longer had a husband. Jesus restores what death had taken from her. 
Dear friends, Jesus' great compassion for, his mother, for this mother is just a glimpse, just a little slice of the love that Jesus has for each of us. After Jesus reunites son with mother, the procession are taken aback for a minute. We're told that they're afraid. What a, what a scene when you hear those words. Read those words again today and take it, listen to it as if you never heard it before and visualize what's going on here. They're afraid and in awe. When that subsides, the adrenaline is still pumping. So what do they do? They proclaim God has looked favorably on his people, not just on the young man or his mother, but on us. We've been in the witness of this great miracle. God has looked with favor upon us in the midst of all that we're going through. This message echoes throughout all the scriptures. It echoes throughout all of our lives whether we feel it or not, sometimes we have to pause and be mindful, meditate on it, be thankful for it, and we'll find it. Our world is still broken. Our world is still fallen into sin, ruled often by violence and brutality, a lot of it's senseless. And we, we're still fragile. We're still mortal. We're still broken. We're still fallen and vulnerable. We can be hurt. We aren't promised an easier path, dear friends in Christ. There will be difficulties in our lives. We will suffer challenges. We will suffer disappointments. We will undergo hardships and tragedies. The whole gamut, every flavor of that will afflict us. War, we see it in our time now. Violence, it's among us every week in Little Rock, if you live in Little Rock. So will also be abuse, assault, yes, suicide too. Yes, homicide as well. All those things that are doubly sour, doubly bitter, because they're tragic in and of themselves, and then they cause us to think and ponder about eternal salvation as well. Despite all this darkness, as people of God, we serve and live in a way so as to help stop the horrible things that we've been put in this world to help stop and prevent from happening. God enables us to do that. Thanks be to him for that. Or, postventionally, after tragedies happen, to help others pick up the pieces, to heal, to move on, to make sense of it, and to not lose faith. As I traveled with that casualty assistance team to visit our soldier's mother in the aftermath of the death of her son, I was anxious. I was even questioning what we could have done, what we could have been able to say or do to help console her, to bring her to any sort of peace. Those were the thoughts and emotions in my heart and mind on that long drive to visit. And as I arrived, I was nowhere closer. I didn't have the words to say. I didn't have some great salient truth of my own to bring and to make sense of such a senseless tragedy. Thanks be to God, I didn't have to have those words of consolation. Thanks be to God that the first thing that I saw when we were invited into the home when we arrived was a well-worn Bible on the kitchen table. My anxiety level went from plus 11 down a few clicks, maybe seven or eight. It was a comfort to know that this was a devout Christian household. Over the next few hours, we shared the only thing we could, the only thing that we had. We shared the consolation of the gospel, the good news in Jesus Christ, that Jesus Christ died and rise to give us new life. And he didn't just die and rise.
for a certain list of sins, for a certain list of evils committed by humanity. He died for everything every human has committed or will commit ever since. We certainly do have a God that is like a vitamin or like a supplement of protein that can help us be stronger because we're already doing great. Sure, he wants a good life for us, but we've got stronger medicine than that. We have the medicine of immortality that speaks to these hard to grapple and deal with situations like the situation this mother and this family faced two weeks ago. Dear friends in Christ, that's the same medicine we tap into here every Sunday at Grace Lutheran Church. Why come here? Why bother at all? Because it's here. And it doesn't stop here. It changes us. It transforms us. We may not always feel it. As we discussed in adult Bible study slash catechism today, we don't have to feel it to make it real. It's there for us, dear friends in Christ. With that family and that mother, I shared the good news that even in our darkness, very real, thick darkness that family faced, God still looks upon his people with favor. God still looks upon us with love. God looks with his grace and unconditional caring upon each and every one of us. Dear friends in Christ, there are times in our lives when we wonder where God is. This family certainly did. We wonder how God could seem to let terrible and awful things happen to otherwise good and God-fearing people. We might feel like God didn't come to save the day, after all. We might ask, where is God in these dark moments? Brothers and sisters, God is still with us. In our moments of pain and in suffering and aloneness, not only is he still with us, he's more with us than ever before. God is still there and the people who surround us. Now, God doesn't promise that life will be easy, but God does promise to be faithful and to be there with us even when we are not, to look with favor upon us. God is a God of compassion, of caring, of peace and justice, of love and grace. We may not be able to have the perfect words. Sometimes our words, will, our words will fail. They'll be superseded by the tragedy of darkness around us. We may not be able, we won't be able to restore the health and the life of the dying or to raise the dead to new life or to have a time machine to go back and stop terrible things from happening. But we can still comfort one another in these moments. The mission I underwent two weeks ago uh, was called a condolence or a consolation visit more than anything else. And that made me think of the words of St. Paul I began with this morning, and they were words that I shared with the mother of our soldier, and we read these words and prayed these words together. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. He comforts us in our affliction so that we may be able to do what? To comfort those who are in any affliction. With what? With the comfort that we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. Read that passage again sometime. There's a lot of comfort in there, dear friends in Christ. Be strengthened by that. Be encouraged by that. Don't lose faith. Don't lose hope. In the name of the Father and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.